and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 69th episode of the podcast for the week of September 9th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome Washington-based professional astrologer, writer, and lecturer, Gray Crawford, to the podcast. And we're going to be having a discussion on exploring soul. So before we get started, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work in this podcast, you can get early Sunday access uh, to these programs for as little as $1 per month on Patreon. And you can also have access to my show notes, which is a written forecast. So if that sounds of interest to you, you can find that at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Now, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do that through Mel's tip jar, which you can find over at energetic principles. So now let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week waxing and growing in light as she wraps up the tail end of her Capricorn transit to move into Aquarius midday on Monday. She hangs out in this airy domain through the middle of the week until she moves into the sensitive waters of Pisces on Thursday and heads to her full moon position on Friday evening. She then begins her waning cycle once again and glides into the fiery enthusiasm of Aries midday Saturday and where she will remain for the rest of the weekend. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours, or if you are in Australia or over in the East, add about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. Well, my friends, we have another uh, eventful week in store for us here. We have the sun making an opposition to Neptune and trining Pluto. We have Mars making a square to Jupiter and then also making an opposition to Neptune. And to add to that Neptune, we have a full moon in Pisces taking place. We also have Mercury and Venus who are going to make a conjunction at the tail end of Virgo before both ingress into Libra. So let us waste no time and dive right in. 
Now, we start out the week on Monday with the moon in Capricorn, and she will move to Aquarius about midday here uh, in the afternoon on the Pacific coast. Uh, And along the way, she's going to make a trine to Venus, but that will happen while we sleep. So the bottom line for Monday is, is that we start off the day with a void, of course, moon in Capricorn, and where we can plot along with whatever work commitments or financial concerns are needing our attention. Energy may be a little sluggish at first, but once we are, you know, going, I think we're going to be cruising and in the zone. Now, later in the day, Luna will glide into Aquarius and lighten the vibes up because Capricorn can be quite dense. uh, And so we can connect with other people and emotionally entertain future possibilities. The evening brings some potential for emotional disruption, though, because Luna is going to be headed towards a middle-of-the-night square with Uranus, so take some space for the self if any feathers get ruffled later on in the day. Now, on Tuesday, the moon is now fully in Aquarius. She will make that square to Uranus uh, during the middle of the night, like I just spoke of, uh, but she will also make a sextile to Jupiter late on Tuesday. Also of note on Tuesday, we have the sun making its opposition to Neptune, who is currently retrograde. So here we have the sun, which is our life force. You know, this is where we turn a page because we are aware of something. And oppositions, you know, these are decisions. This is where we have a bird's eye view of a situation. Or maybe if we're confronted with outside influence, that creates some sort of tug of war. Now, what is that influence? And that is Neptune. And so Neptune, you know, Neptune is usually a dissolving energy where there's a disintegration taking place, or maybe we need to to surrender something, or maybe it's dissolving in the way that there's some confusion at play. But usually there's a spiritual connection that is trying to come through when Neptune is here. And so, now I will say we are likely to be feeling this over the week because this influence kind of slowly rises to an apex. So this is not just concentrated on Tuesday, but kind of, you know, creating a cloud for the week. Now, let us keep in mind that the sun squared Jupiter just a day before um, this happened, or like pretty soon, you know, over that weekend. Uh, And then it's going to be making... And so really our solar light is is highlighting much of this Jupiter-Neptune square. This is what I'm trying to say. Neptune is... (laughs) dissolving my speech at the moment. But, you know, we're about to have this Jupiter-Neptune square make its last pass here in just a few weeks' time. So this is adding to kind of something that's been around, you know, this whole year. Yet at this point, we reach our yearly opposition with Neptune, and we are, you know, we're confronted with these subtle forces that are within and without. And so there's a heightened sensitivity to what can be found behind the veil now. And particularly as the sun in Virgo is of an earthly nature, we can contact our visions and dream spaces to get a bird's eye view on how to manifest these spiritual nudgings into physical being. Now, whenever Neptune transits come around, there can be lower energies at play or some challenges in in self-assertion or confidence there. So do take your time if necessary, especially if you are still weighing things out as there can be some confusion and haziness with this planet. Yet our solar light and discerning Virgo seeks to clear up that fog. So look for the opportunity to find clarity on once on what was once a bit nebulous. And just know it may be, you know, a bit of a back and forth within the concepts of pragmatism and faith, because these are mutable signs and they shift. So this is also a time, uh, you know, because of Neptune's disillusion uh, or dissolving um, abilities. So if you need to let go of something of, of a physical or an emotional nature, now would be an excellent time to do so, because you probably have that awareness. 
So the bottom line for Tuesday is, is that we are our you know, in this future space today, as the Aquarius moon moves towards a sextile with Jupiter, and we can detach and entertain the potentialities that are on the horizon. Now, paired with the Sun-Neptune opposition, we may definitely have our heads in the clouds, yet in a way that is parsing out spiritual material with the aid of intellectual reason. So step outside the box today and see if you can view your upcoming trajectory in a new and innovative way. And, you know, dare to do things differently because that is the mode of Aquarius. Now, on Wednesday, the moon is still in Aquarius, but actually has no exact aspects this day. So the bottom line for Wednesday is that here we have another day in the future zone as the moon is, you know, void, of course, all day. And we're kind of just going through the motions of Aquarius. And this is the perfect time to air your plans out with others and work on potentials that are already in motion. You know, find ways to invest in your future by doing the planning or imagineering today. We now have the ability to culminate towards an upgraded perspective on life if we are detached enough to act in line with the bigger picture at play. Now, on Thursday, the moon is now in Pisces, and she will make a sextile to Uranus. But also of note, we have Mars, who's going to be making a square to Jupiter, and then also in opposition to Neptune. And I'm going to combine these two transits together because they are happening within a couple days of one another. The opposition to Neptune will actually take place, I believe, late Friday evening, yes, after our full moon. So, you know, this is a concentrated uh, influence that is taking place really with the Sun-Neptune opposition as well. So, you know, you can look at these as full week energies. So Mars, you know, this is where we put our action, our drive, our directed motivation, uh, how we assert ourselves. And so it's creating a square, which creates events and friction and action uh, with Jupiter, which Jupiter is trying to push us forward and, and, you know, get this ball rolling, basically. Uh, Yet we also have this opposition to Neptune, and we already saw that Neptune, uh, you know, kind of has that spiritual element and maybe that uh, surrendering and accepting element to it. Uh, But we're also having opposition. So we are getting confronted with something on the outside. We're making decisions, or at least we're trying to because Neptune can make that hard sometimes. Uh, But we are getting that bird's eye view on our action energy here. So now Mars comes around to fill in the space that the sun just hit. And I see this as quite fortuitous as we just became aware of what we are pushing forward and what our sensitive psychic space is communicating to us. And now we get to put the action energy of Mars behind it. And so we can make significant movements that lead us down the path of growth as we are pushed to move on at this time while spirit also challenges us. And like I said earlier, though, you know, watch for lower energies because we may be moving forward or doing our best attempt at that, yet energy may be diffused at times, whether uh, through our, you know, your own actual physical stamina or your confidence and ability to cope with whatever next is on your plate. Now, find the balance with the details and the big picture, because we are working with Virgo and Pisces here. For if we get, and Jupiter, to be honest. So, you know, if we get caught in all the intricacies, we may not be able to move a muscle because it might feel overwhelming. Yet, if we only see the larger scope, we may miss a key component that can trip us up later. And so Mars does act as a surgeon's scalpel. Uh, So once again, if you need to release something this week or cut something out of your life in order to move forward, now is the perfect time to do so.
So the bottom line for Thursday is, is that energy dips down a bit as Luna cruises through the sensitive waters of Pisces. Yet as she is waxing towards tomorrow's full moon, there's likely to be heightened emotions at play over the next few days. Uh, And there are extra doses of intuition filtering in as Luna makes a sextile to Uranus. So be receptive and willing to listen today. You may even meet someone new that can help, you know, in that department or kind of like a spiritual, like, you know, ta-da, this is what you needed. So go with the flow to the best of your ability and take breaks from time to time if you feel overwhelmed by anything that is before you. All right, so Friday, Friday, we have our full moon in Pisces. And that full moon, before we get to that full moon, will make a sextile to Saturn, a square to Jupiter, an opposition to Mars, a conjunction to Neptune, a sextile to Pluto, and then the opposition to the sun. So, you know, put that in your pocket or put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) That's very Pisces, I think. What's in that pipe? That's the question. All right. I digress. Now, full moon in Pisces, going to be at 21 degrees and five minutes of Pisces, and that will take place at 9.33 p.m. here on the Pacific Coast. So for some people, even you East Coasters out there, this is probably going to happen while you sleep or uh, maybe early in the morning if you're over uh, in, in Europe. Now, also that day, we have Mercury making a conjunction to Venus, uh, starting a new cycle. And we also have the Sun trying Pluto, uh, who is currently retrograde. And I will just remind you that we also have Mars opposing Neptune this day, which I already spoke of. So let us start with our uh, just the overall vibe of this Pisces full moon that we have. Now, keep in mind, I do write a, a more lengthy article on all the new moons and full moons, which I post on my site over energeticprinciples.com. So if you want to check that out, uh, it'll probably go up maybe a day or two before the full moon. I'm usually kind of right on it. I'm not a... <laughs> I don't have it a week out ahead. I'm just not that person. Uh, But if you want to come straight to your inbox, you can sign up for my mailing list, which you can find the sign-up sheet on the bottom of my first page, my first page, my front page over at energeticprinciples.com. So, all right, full moon in Pisces. And so this full moon is really riding the coattails of that sun and Mars, you know, that is coming off of their meetings with both Jupiter and Neptune. And this lunation is likely to highlight the need for acceptance, surrender, and maybe even sacrifice in some areas of our lives as we open up to celebrate where Spirit's directive is pushing us forward. And so we will be tested on our ability to find compassion and universal love for whatever it is we encounter counter, including the ability to do that for shadow parts of ourselves, because this is a full moon and it usually encounters someone outside of us or our own shadow. And as Pisces is very much a connecting sign and full moons tend to represent those outside encounters, like I just said, this may be a highly emotional and relationship-oriented full moon, particularly as Mercury is conjuncting Venus that day to begin a new cycle. So let us talk about that. So here we have Mercury, which is, you know, our perception on life. It's where we communicate and what news comes in and where we share information and conversation. Now, Mercury is coming together with Venus. Venus is the goddess of love. She's our relationship planet. She's where we open up and how we attract things in, but also where we desire to balance and harmonize in our lives and, you know, uh, take a good look at what our values look like. And so these two are fusing together in conjunction, which means this is a new cycle. The energies are fusing to become one. 
So with these two meeting in the skies in this new cycle, we can now express ourselves in matters of relationships, creative projects, revised personal values, and an overall desire for harmony in our lives. Now, these two met not that long ago on July 24th when Mercury was in its retrograde cycle. So you may want to go back and take a look at this time to see what was taking place. For this may be a continuation of that story as it moves from the internal to the external. We've had time to mull things over, and now it is time to express that desire to the outer world. And I have a feeling that if you are an artist or a musician like myself or anybody that works in a creative field, you know, this can be an incredibly active time for creation, particularly if you are on the last leg of a project and are putting the final touches on things to start the next stage uh, that is bringing towards the completion. Yet overall, now is an excellent time to express yourself and your desires. So the cycle gets started, uh, you know, gets things off to the on the right foot and you can shift the energy towards what holds the most value at this point in your life. And so these two will meet once more at the tail end of Scorpio on October 30th, right before Mercury stations. So stay tuned for the next leg of the Mercury Venus saga. Now, on top of that, we also have the sun making a trine to Pluto this day. So we know the sun turns the page. It brings us the awareness we need and things are lit up. Well, trines, you know, there's no obstacles. Things are flowing, no boundaries at all, which is very Neptune. You know, boundaries this week, (laughs) maybe a little nebulous. Um, But the sun, you know, is trying to open our eyes to Pluto and Pluto wants change. Pluto wants uh, to bring deep, instinctual, emotional material out so that we can purify whatever lies beneath. And so that can be a little uncomfortable at times, but it can be very rewarding at the same time. Um, So with the sun also trining into Pluto this day, there is a purifying force sweeping into our physical realities as we become aware of where we are making changes in life. And we can now tap into the ability to transform and regenerate tangible parts of our existence while also stepping into our power in order to be able to do so. And sometimes the best thing we can do to move forward is to destruct in order to regenerate. So put a keen eye on what you'd like to part with and say bon voyage, for there will be a resurgence of internal power and personal integrity that flows through you once you do. So there's a lot of release elements, I think, to this week. Um, So, you know, the bottom line for Friday is is that we got a packed day of energy on our hands. There are many influences that lead up to the evening's full moon, and many of this week's aspects will be highlighted as we wax towards the maximum brightness. So there's a lot of stimulus that may set us off emotionally or overwhelm us in some way. So just go with the flow and be patient and kind with yourself and others. Feel into the spiritual energy energy that is at play, for there are forces behind the veil that are coming to the surface for integration. Now, on Saturday, we have the moon in Pisces, and she will move to Aries around mid-afternoon here on the Pacific Coast. Uh, And after she does show, she'll make an uh, opposition to Venus and then also an opposition to Mercury. Now, speaking of Venus and Mercury, we have Mercury and Venus both ingressing into Libra on this day. So they just met in conjunction at the tail end of Virgo the day before, and then on Saturday, they're out of Virgo and into Libra. So let's talk about that. So Mercury, Mercury is moving in about 12, 15 a.m., so we're going to sleep through that probably here in North America, Um, and probably the Venus one as well, because these happen very early in the morning. 
And so the messenger moves out of its position of domicile in Virgo to move into Venus's territory in Libra. And our minds will begin to take on a more aesthetic approach to life as we become attuned to the nature of balance and harmony, with the intellect desiring to entertain those concepts on the mental scale. And we are likely to focus our thoughts more greatly on the realm of partnerships and diplomacy, because Libra loves these things. And it's possible that the issue of justice and fairness will likely be at the forefront, not only in our own lives, but on the world sphere. And Libra is known for swinging back and forth within the paradox of truth. So do not be surprised if you find yourself a bit indecisive at times while Mercury is in this sign. So I like to say if you're 60% sure, I'd say go with it while Mercury is in Libra. So Mercury will be in the sign of the scales until October 2nd. Now with Venus ingressing into Libra, we have kind of the flip side. So our goddess of love moves out of Mercury's domain, and which is her sign of fall, to return to one of her domiciles. Uh, so Mercury and Venus are kind of switching places here. So Venus in Libra is more than at home in the land of the scales, as she will be doing her best to create balance and harmony within whatever she encounters. She's trying to attract that in. And so we are opening more greatly to the desire for beauty, and our artistic sensibilities will be heightened as we entertain the possibilities that are before us, because it's air sign. So we are, you know, entertaining the future in many ways. And so this will be an excellent time for creative projects, particularly in design, as our sense of balance will be on point. And I would imagine spending some time implementing feng shui principles would be more than beneficial uh, while Venus is in Libra. So, you know, and now if Venus and her relationship energy created some issues while in Virgo, because that was where she was kind of getting reconfigured and she went through a sun conjunction and, you know, like she got, she got, <laughs> some, some, um, yeah, you, all right. Words not working for me right now, but I think that if there was some little hiccups while she was in Virgo, that things will kind of smooth out and we're going to be able to find that balance within our interactions again and get on the good foot. So Venus is going to be on, uh, on Libra, uh-oh, <laughs> in Libra through October 8th. So take advantage. Oh, I guess that's another pun. All right. I'm done here. So the bottom line for Sun or Saturday is, is that here we have a two-part day as we drift our way through the remaining Pisces energy to then find a burst of fire later in the day when Luna moves into born-ready Aries, because Aries is just like, let's go. And so the moon lights up the recent Mercury-Venus conjunction right after both planets ingress into Libra, triggering new focus and desires as the warrior moon is ready to get this party started. So feel into the new beginnings that are coming to light and get excited about instigating change and fresh momentum in your life. Now, on Sunday, the moon is in Aries and will make a square to Saturn and a trine to Jupiter later in the day. And so the bottom line for Sunday is, is that energy is high as the Aries moon puts fiery pep in our step. So pick the low-hanging fruit today as we may find irritation with our commitments and chores as the moon moves towards a square with Saturn all day. So quick senses of accomplishment can help move the story along without frustration reaching its boiling point. And we know what needs to be done, and the conquering nature of this position can help move that process along. Just be sure to take some consideration not to step on anyone's toes in the process. Because Mercury and Venus are both, you know, they 
both just moved into Libra, and they're both moving towards an opposition with Chiron, and there will be assertion triggers at play. So, you know, stay tuned for more on that next week. So to wrap it all up here, you know, we have a dreamy week ahead of us as we apex towards a Pisces full moon that is surrounded with Neptune transits. Life and our future trajectories are changing and morphing before our eyes. Yet within the spiritual haze, we are finding that it's all in the name of growth. Accept what is, release what no longer serves, and find faith in that what is ahead is our dreams making. All right, so now let's take a look at the cards because they always add a little extra something something. And so this week I drew the Knight of Wands as the focus and the Knight of Pentacles as the grounding. Which is interesting because these are kind of, now that I look at it, they're, you know, they're two kind of conflicting energies there. Um, So with the Knight of Wands as the focus, this is a week of taking action on our ambitions and our passions while also embodying the enthusiasm to try new things and further along recently started projects. So embrace your sense of adventure and be ready to assert yourself in the name of progress. Yet make sure you do the due diligence to use the Virgoan discernment that is now at our disposal. For this knight can be a little on the impulsive side if he gets too fired up. So just FYI with the Knight of Wands energy, especially with the Aries moon later in the week. Now, with the Knight of Pentacles as the grounding, the burst of movement we are making this week with that Knight of Wands is backed up by the slow and methodical movements of the Pentacles variety. And so we may want to have fast progress, but may find that where we are currently taking action will also require us to be patient and put in consistent effort so that we don't burn out from the first initial burst. So we may have to be practical around conserving our energy so we can capitalize on the momentum, yet still be able to carry things through for the long haul. So find a place of balance this week where you can marry your ambitious passions with the steadfastness of routine, and then watch those efforts pay off handsomely in due time. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the panda. Our cuddly and not-so-little friend is here to help us find some balance this week between the masculine and feminine energies that we all hold at the heart of our being. And the panda helps to bring down a cosmic heart consciousness that can bring healing if we open ourselves up to balancing our essence through the principle of love. And how Pisces is that? You know, it seems so fitting for our Pisces full moon that we'd be challenged with our ability to open up to universal love and compassion. So if you find yourself tested this week, open your heart to find greater harmony and acceptance for whatever it is that you encounter. Just keep that little panda in your mind because, you know, Who doesn't love a panda? (laughs) So, all right. Well, like I always say every week, I have my Patreon up and running. And so I'm going to have the second uh, installment of my Astro Storytime airing this week. Um, So hopefully you all checked it out last week with the episode that I had uh, uh, free to air. Um, And I'm so excited to share with some of the things that I have uh, going for this episode. So come on down. Check that out. That's only $6 per month to get this pro 
program that lasts about 45 minutes. Um, and it can be very informative, especially if you are learning charts or like to dissect them. Um, so also, you can get those show notes that I me- mentioned. So everything I just told you, you could have in written form so that you can refer to them throughout the week. And that is only $3 per month. Now, if you want all of this, you can get that for $8 a month, which is just a coffee and some pennies in a bucket. Uh, and you'll be supporting these efforts, this podcast, and all this additional material. So to find out more, please come over to Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest. We have Gray Crawford with us. Hi, Gray. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mel. Yes, I, uh, you know, I saw Gray, um, actually, I saw you at NORWAC uh, briefly, but I didn't get to see any of your talks, um, although uh, he, he was generous enough to gift them to me recently, and so I've been listening to some of Gray's work, and I really like, uh, you know, some of the things that you've had to share. Um, so, you know, for those listeners that have not heard of you before, will you give us a little bit of a, you know, quick little background on yourself? Sure. Yeah. I live in Olympia, Washington, and um, I've been studying astrology for about 20 years now and have always primarily done um, natal consultations with people as far as my practice goes. I also have a site, which is my name, Gray Crawford, G-R-A-Y, Crawford.net. And for um, seven years now, I have been um, writing articles on that. Generally, at this point, I tend to just write new moon, full moon types of articles, um, kind of going over where all the um, transits are leading, kind of waning, waxing, lunar cycle. Um, but sometimes I have other articles on there as well. Um, currently, I'm actually taking a horary course with the um, School of Traditional Astrology. It's Deb Holdings curriculum um, with like Lee Lehman and Wade Caves and Eve Dombrowski are the other teachers in it. So that's kind of an exciting new thing. That is not actually something I'm offering right now, but down the line uh, most likely will be. Oh, how exciting, you know, grabbing into that horary world. (laughs) And those are all excellent teachers. So I bet you're having a wonderful time in that program. Um, Yeah, it's it's a good program. Yeah. And so, well, I love horary. Uh, I don't use it too much in my own practice. I definitely do it on a day-to-day basis when (laughs) I'm looking at things. But I love the concept of, um, you know, what's going on in, in the now? Because I feel like the you know, because horror is really derived from the chart of the moment, right? You know, like what is in the skies right now. And I almost feel like, because we're going to be talking about the topic, a rather large (laughs) (laughs) topic here. And so don't expect us to have any uh, or all of the answers here, but we're going to be exploring soul, which is a huge thing. But I actually started to think about um, that moment uh, of time and what horary is built on and how, to me, those like, you know, the now brings us a lot of kind of soul, uh, it's, it's what introduces soul um, experiences to us constantly, whether they're on grand scales or on these very minute little like, aha, or I encounter this or the synchronicity of a moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just find that 
pretty fascinating. But before we get into our lofty topic here, which is so perfect as the we have a full moon in Pisces that will be uh, happening when the week that this airs, um, you know, Gray, what got you into astrology? Like what I've been asking everyone that comes on the program, like what was that initial spark or what did you encounter that was like, ta-da? <laughs> well, I mean... For me, um, I think my earliest memory was like a magnet I had on my fridge with like a, as a little kid, my mom had got me as like a Pisces glyph. I think it said something like imaginative kind and like emotional or something like that with like the fish. And um, her father, my granddad, uh, used to write me letters as a kid where he was apparently at some level into astrology because he meant he was also a Pisces. I'm a Pisces son. And, um, I'm born March 18th. He's born like March 14th. And he, he wrote about it to me, um, which I mostly know from looking back at those letters. He passed away before I was really too old to have any um, sense of that. So astrology is really just something I kind of would see from here and, th- here and there. I didn't know that much about it. I didn't know anybody into astrology. But because I'm actually very Pisces, when I would come across sun sign stuff, it didn't, I mean, it would generally make sense to me. The whole idea of like the stars having meaning always just kind of naturally made sense to me, but it really wasn't until I was um, probably around like 20 or so um, coming across like those little sun sign books you can find um, with my girlfriend at the time. And um, we just started reading about like ourselves and other people. And um coming across then like like the Liz Green, uh, not Liz Green, um, Linda Goodman, <laughs> Sun Sign book. Um, that birth, there's a birthday book. There's this really huge birthday book where they divide stuff up with like the Deccans. And um, I actually got really into that book, which is kind of interesting because I was very early like into the Deccans just because of that birthday book. But I really didn't know anything. Like I didn't actually know astrology existed and I had never like, met anybody that knew, you know, I didn't even know there was a, such a thing as a birth chart or any of that. And it was really, I was trying to figure this out because I, because you were saying you're going to ask me this. It was basically <laughs> around my, I don't know the exact date, but it was around probably my going into my um, second Jupiter return around that time period. And I was like 23 or so where um, I was having this conversation with this really cool woman that um, ran this, uh, health food store where I was going to college and I was mentioned, I mentioned something about astrology and she mentioned something about like, well, where is your this and that? And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And she was like, don't you know, there's like a nail chart. And I was just like shocked. Um, and it really sparked this thing. Like I had to know that like something about that, just everything. Like I was like, Oh, there's a whole thing here. So I just got one of those, um, everything you need to know about astrology books. And, um, where it gave you like, you know, how to do the chart and what the different planets were. And I think it talks some about some of that idea of even like the procession of the equinoxes a little bit. And um, yeah, and I really, I, since that point, I never um, stopped learning. Um, I, I was, when I was trying to think about different dates, I mean, I would say my interesting, like next Jupiter return, I had um, leading into that period and during that period, 
which actually was a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction uh, near my son. I have a Sun-Jupiter conjunction in Pisces. At that point, that was about nine years ago, um, or more than nine years ago, but that was a real intensification where I had been doing some natal consults before that, but that was like, from that point on, it just got really much more intensified what I was doing and starting to put myself out there. Like a couple of years after that, I started my blog and I kind of went more from just learning it constantly on my own to um, shifting into like going out into the world with it more to share with people and that sort of thing. Hmm. Yes. Well, that's, it's funny. Your story actually like compounds a lot of other people's stories. Okay. <laughs> story. uh, because what I've, you know, there's always Linda Goodman comes up. Yeah. The everything you need to know about astrology comes up. Um, the Jupiter return, we're noticing a lot of people are either, uh, some people, you know, are there their first Jupiter return at like 12 right. and they're getting mm-hmm. there. Uh, we've had a couple of the second Jupiter returns like yourself there. And then for some people like myself, where it took us to the Saturn return to, right. to really get in there. So I, you know, I have a feeling, and then you even had your grandfather within that too, because some mm-hmm. people's stories had uh, like uh, Jason Hawley. He came from a family that had uh, this kind of, you know, it was just yeah. I definitely don't come. From, well, maybe far back in the ancestral line. I don't think he was an astrologer, but he at least knew about it. But, but just a little yeah. something, like you got there that. was something there. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. I like I like just hearing how people, you know, got in there because it seems like so, uh, typically something that finds you, you know, like you're like, oh, what what is this? And then you dive into that rabbit hole and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, very cool. All right. Well, speaking of a rabbit hole, <laughs> the rabbit hole of soul, yeah. uh, <laughs> where we are going today. And I'm like, what is soul? I started thinking about it. Yeah. Um, because that it's so there's so many ways you could go with it, and it, yeah. I mean, so many things for so many different people. So I thought maybe mm-hmm. that we just start with like, a, you know, just a dictionary definition. You know, just the what you know what has humankind defined this as? Uh, and so I looked up soul uh, as a noun, as an actual thing, and it said the immaterial essence, animating principle, or actuating cause of an individual life. It also had the spiritual principle embodied in human beings, all rational and spiritual beings, or the universe capitalized. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting. And then it goes on to saying the moral and emotional nature of human beings, the quality that arouses emotion and sentiment, or spiritual or moral force. Um, and so I just, I thought that was interesting. Like just the, it's still kind of vague in its own sense, but I mean, what does it mean to you, Gray? Uh, Gray? Like what, what comes to mind when you think of soul? Well, one of the things you were just saying there, like, um, at a very basic level, animating the animating force. Um, you know, I, I do, I agree with the idea of the, um, world soul that the universe has meaning that um, everything is alive and has meaning and has soul. Um, we ourselves are a soul within this world of, you know, interconnecting, interconnected soul. Um, there's actually, yeah, because I know you're again saying you're going to ask me this, and I was trying to think about it too. How to um, how to uh, talk about it? That's one of the basic levels I think of, though. Is just um, what what brings you alive. 
what connects you to the the greater whole of the you could say the universe or the cosmos. Um, there's actually a talk I saw Robert Hand give once where he said something to the effect that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. And I think that's a good, um, simplistic, you know, kind of basic statement. Mm. Um, you know, I am someone that, that does see that we, we have a soul that's maybe part of whatever the, however, however you want to define the source of uh, creation. Um, you know, the one that all the many came out of, if you, think that sort of way but um i do also see that the idea of part of our soul is there's sort of a we're we're basically all incarnated souls right in this material realm of um things coming into being and passing away you know constantly changing and and flux of everything right Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things um that can be a real struggle um as well as a source of self-realization, you know, and liberation. And that as part of that, there is a part of our soul that um, is sort of about who we are as a person, that it's something that's, you know, and that I don't know, obviously, how that works. I don't pretend to think I have that all figured out. But on some level, you know, there's like, who knows how many past lifetimes, like there's some sort of soul that we connect with that, um, is carrying this, this purpose, mm. purpose for us. Yes. It kind of rolls along to where if now, if you believe in past lives, which we mm-hmm. were going to touch on that a little bit because you know, not everyone. And that's the thing. And I think that we should start the podcast with just the idea of, uh, you know, there is no right or wrong answer here because this is right. all speculation based on, you know, experience, observation, and some, you know, <laughs> uh, intellectual work as well. Um, and so I like that what you said about Robert Hand saying, you know, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Because essentially that, you know, everybody says that when someone passes away, you see the life leave their body. You see that. And anybody that has an out-of-body experience or are on the verge of crossing over but come back, they always are like, oh, I'm in this space of like, you know, kind of eternalness. And it's actually kind of hard to leave that uh, because you have to come back into, you know, the meat bag <laughs> and, right. and live here. And so that really resonates with me, the idea that you are that rather than having one. Um, right. What other reason to incarnate than to, you know, you, it's almost like you have to have something first to have a reason and a meaning to incarnate you know, rather than the other way around, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it does. Like I'm, um, I guess it was, it was after I was into astrology, um, that book by, uh, James Hillman, the soul's code, which is about the diamond. I don't know if you've ever read that book is a pretty Mm-mm. popular, uh, James Hillman book, that book. Um, yeah, I was I was already into astrology when I I didn't read that when it first came out. I think it came out like in the late nineties. Um, but that's a book where he talks about the the diamond and um, sort of like the he calls it like an acorn theory, um, which is sort of the idea that um, this image or this calling or this um, he, he connects it explicitly to like the guardian diamond in uh like plato's myth of Ur, um that when we incarnate and kind of come down like we've i don't know 
I mean, that's one version, you know, I don't know if you want to go into that story at all, but that's a pretty popular Western. Um, I'm not sure I've heard the story, story. of, of oh, the myth of her by Plato. I, I don't okay. I, give it to, give it to us. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, <laughs> well, it, it, uh, oh man. Um, well, I but don't think I'm going to, you know, clips notes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to see, see if I can, uh, remember it all correctly but basically um this figure is um passing away and um goes in sort of like what you're saying like they're they're having this like near this like death experience where they go into that other world and they're seeing that there are some people that are going off to this sort of what seems like a paradise and other people going to this more hellish um place um, and that's partially based upon um, their actions during their lifetime. Um, this comes during their at the end of like the Republic. So Plato's kind of got this moralistic type of thing mm-hmm. going on with it to a certain degree. But um, the part about the past lives there ends up being these. Um, there's um, Ananke, who is you know the goddess of um, necessity. And um, she is there with her three daughters who are the three fates. Just seeing if I have my notes so I can actually um, remember <laughs> their, their names exactly because it would be good if I do. One is, um, it's Clothos, I think it's Lachesis, um, Atropo, and Clotho. But basically it's the three fates. So like they're, they're there. You see, you see these fate. There's like a great spindle of necessity that's being spun around by um, Anake. And actually, the planetary spheres, the way it's described, it kind of describes the planetary spheres being spun. Then you have the three um, fates weaving the th- weaving, measuring um, the threads of like your destiny, and you know they end up uh, snipping them. You know, and the the different people are. The souls before they're incarnating are being shown. First of all, they, they draw lots, and then they're um, picking what life they're. It's then going to show them like what life they're going to live, and they get to by picking a lot. They get um, it's like giving an order to their selection, and they're shown like an image. They're shown some sort of idea of what this life is going to be. So there is a part of that that um, the soul on that level is actually choosing the life. Mm. On some level, um, if we end up talking about like evolutionary astrology, at least the Jeff Green style, that's like a, for example, exactly what that whole paradigm of astrology is is built on. So that that idea of you know choosing the soul, choosing the life on some level, mm. um, yeah, for for even reason. even in modern forms of astrology shows up. Yeah, it's definitely like a that idea is is very widespread it seems like and it seems like a lot of astrologers a lot of astrologers at least seem to have that sort of belief i, I find um yeah and so I mean, like yeah. we are looking for purpose we're looking for mm-hmm. meaning and that's you know part of that yeah and so there's different ones like some people see some life and like they get really attracted to like the glamour or the power they see in the life not realizing like where that life is going to lead um there's an example i'm, I'm you, like ulysses ends up picking like the most um, like 
normal, like not exciting, out of the limelight, like life possible. And it's just like elated. So there's kind of sort of, you know, humorous things like that, where there's like mythic figures you see that you kind of know their story and you're kind of seeing oh, who would they pick um, based upon their last life. Like, you know, Ulysses is like, I've had enough of, you know, the, all of that. He's going to go for just like, I'm just like, being here and not, yeah, yeah, doing all that. So what happens is when, when they're incarnating, coming down um, through the spheres, right when they're picking their life, they're appointed a guardian daimon. And the guardian daimon basically sort of remembers this um, image, this destiny, and it's there as a guide. So the daimon is seen as um, being this, you know, some people equate that to like your higher self, um, like a guardian angel or kind of like a spirit guide type of thing? Like a yeah, I mean, the, the guardian daimon over time, um, you know, it's actually embedded in uh, Hellenistic astrology. Like the 11th house is a house of the good mm-hmm. daimon. The 12th house is the house of the bad daimon. <laughs> and um, the contra, the mirror image of the lot of fortune, people now, it's popular to call it the lot of spirit, but it's actually the lot of daimon. That was a choice some people made. To start calling it the lot of spirit, but it's, mm. it's actually a lot of daimon. Um, well, and you hear that all the Carl, time too. The lot, your, your lot in life, right? You know, yeah, your lot in life, life, exactly. <laughs> um, Carl Jung is really into the daimon. Besides Hillman, you know, his whole idea of the unconscious is basically the daimon. It's, it's the same, um, the same type of idea. So, um, yeah, and that idea. Of, so that idea of Hillman, for example, was. Instead of looking like everything, for example, like you have this childhood and you have all these experiences in your childhood and everything about your childhood is to blame or um, these difficulties you went through or why you've turned out the way you are. He's kind of looking at the reverse that you had this calling. And so maybe you had these, these difficult shaping experiences as a child because this is actually your calling and your destiny mm. that you're here to step into. And so um, it kind of turns that around um, in that way. And um, that's the way that I, I approach astrology in that way in terms of soul, um, including, you know, aspects of people's chart that they might see as difficult or some people might want to blame things on or um, instead seeing that, well, this is part of your, you know, why you're here for you to learn about. And it's part of this sort of soul purpose, you know, you know that you have. Yeah, I know because another term that comes to mind when I think of soul is a dark night of the soul. You right. know, when you get to that place and there you got you're at the bottom and you're you know you're soul searching. There's another term where mm-hmm. we're like, what is this all about? What does this mean? And that's very much part of the process because we lose all that information that you know, and maybe that that's why the diamond is there because it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to give you all the answers, all the clues, but I'll give you breadcrumbs along the way for you to follow or you know if maybe if you get off course sometimes there's going to be uh you know some sort of synchronicity or law of attraction that takes place that is like you're getting too far and so we have to pull you back and sometimes that can be an unpleasant process (laughs) um but it's still a a worthy one and a, a necessary one in order to fulfill that and i mean i can even think back in my own uh you know i i have come from a separated family and dealt with a you know a a 
father that had been gone that left. And so there's, you know, abandonment issues there. And, um, and, and these are like the making of the story, right? The, the the beginning and a lot of these issues. And I mean, I reunited with my father later on and I actually had some really, um, interesting dream work that happened around that time too, which we're going to talk a little bit about dream analysis, mainly for me, because I love dreams (laughs) and I think that they're very tied up into soul work. Um, Mm -hmm. But regardless, I had to go through those particular experiences because they layered not only with that experience with my own father, but also, uh, you know, relationships with other people of, um, you know, male and female, you know, that same principle kept coming back because there's something that I had to, um, you know, uh, get to in my own understanding, uh, to help push the soul along. If I didn't have those personal experiences, then I wouldn't be the person I am today. And that I think is where you get soul. Cause you think about that all the time with music, you know, you think about soul music and soul music is, it's like, why does it have soul? It's because it's hitting you somewhere. It has a, an emotion to it. And I think that might be a lot of what, you know, I think that might be a really huge component to soul is the idea of emotion because how does it make you feel, you know, like a, a soul feeling type of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff on that going far back um, as far as older philosophy. Like I know, for example, well, Neoplatonic, like Plotinus talks about that, like the passions of the soul being sort of like daimonic. So you have desires coming from the stars. Um, Again, in modern astrology, some forms of modern astrology are very much into um, looking at your soul desires um, and you know, where that's leading you and that sort of thing. Um, so that's definitely a a really key part of it. Yeah. And well, and I think about it, you know, being a musician and, um, someone who's, you know, listens to the muse to some extent. Um, and we make jokes because it's like, you can't put it down. You know what I mean? Like you can't be like, oh, I don't want to be this anymore or, or this is too inconvenient or I'll never have success here. And you know, you hear about that with artists all the time or people that have a desire to do something that is not very well supported by the material world a lot of the time, but you just can't escape it because it's, it's a soul yearning. It's a desire and... It, you know, I'll be miserable if I don't participate in it. And so uh, that's another level of soul that I've learned, at least for myself. And that, that speaks loudly to me. I got a yeah. lot of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the, the fundamental things, you know, astrology is very, much, is very much set up just relating this back to astrology with that idea of like light and dark and the material realm and the world of spirit and being the soul in this material realm. And, um, yeah, I mean, to, to follow one's soul path does not necessarily, um, in, in fact, often is at odds with what is set up in culture to be, you know, seen as materially successful or secure. And um, it's also one of those interesting things with, like, fate and free will, um, like, for example, with, like, Carl Jung and the way he gets into it with, like, the daimon that, you know, he writes about being so gripped by it, you know, that you're not, you're not free. Um, you're not really free when you're gripped by it. I mean, because you're just like, you're saying it's sort of this thing that you're pulled into doing it. You have to do this. And, um, yeah, it's interesting too, with like, certainly with art and creativity, anybody that gets in that moment where 
however that works, you know, you're just, it's sort of like that same idea with astrology and the quality of this moment in time and just somehow being connected to the um, soulfulness, I guess, of everything, right? That you just sort of bring something in right then that, you, you know, you maybe didn't know was there, but it's all very relational because that will then spark these other people around you which, I, you know, music is a good example of how that happens, right? And something very spontaneously. He has a synthetic, or not just, synthetic. Uh, synthetic. just emerge, yeah. Yeah, and it just all mm-hmm. comes together. And, you know, and it's, it's in this space. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's just there and you're tapping into it. I like to think of like Keith Richards says, he's like, all the songs in the universe have already been made. We're just basically like an antenna that is just tapping in to, you know, certain patterns and we're coming together to do that. I mean, even the same with like the synchronicity of the moment or being um, playing with another individual and, you know, a a telepathic connection essentially happens because you're just in that space and you'll know when to switch when you don't even have to tell each other, you know, you just feel that, that, you know, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Now I want to know, not that you have the answer, but I was thinking of like, you know, the soul, the soul preparing to come down to earth and we're up there and we're, you know, getting matched up with our diamond and we're about to come down and we're seeing the preview of what this life looks like. And I want to know what's, what's the end result? Like what's the, cause if we're choosing a life, you know, or we're like, this looks good for my purpose. And cause I don't think it's just one life. Like I'm, I don't know if you subscribe to this, but I think it's like many that's trying to work on a particular something, but I wonder how that energy even knows like what its end result wants to be, or like, you know, this is just a rhetorical question. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What's what's the end result then? Um, to that like do we just become energy at some point i mean what what do you think loosely <laughs> loosely <laughs> well yeah i mean there is that's certainly a line of thought with different mystical traditions that we end up just sort of um re-merging with whatever that source of every creative spirit you know and that we just i guess we sort of dissolve back into that um but then also there's the idea that, you know, um, others of us are continually recycling, like we're, we keep coming back down for whatever reason, whatever that is, we're um, working out. I mean, that's, that's definitely when you start talking about all these like multiple lifetimes and the soul having all these, maybe carrying all this, this um, meaning that we're only uh, vaguely aware of um, that, I mean, part of that sort of line of thought and how I think it sort of ends up coming into astrology then is that for, there are certain, um, maybe you want to say like archetypal patterns. There's some sort of thing that um, as a, on a soul level, we are um, being pulled back down to work out for, you know, whatever reason that is. And that there's um, aspects lots of as many aspects of our soul that we're just not um, integrating right now, but they're actually, they're there. Um, that's where the, to me, like the work of, I, I like bringing the work of Carl Jung into astrology because that sort of idea of the vastness of the unconscious, the vastness of that inner soul, that stuff is there to, um, 
to be integrated and to make some of that material um, conscious. Um, you know, oftentimes at points in our life, we're like projecting it on other people and we might have a realization then how um, we are doing that. And if we start taking that back, it's sort of that pattern. We'll just, we'll just you can kind of see how it just starts morphing into something else. And now there's like this other layer of that pattern we're um, working on. And it's interesting. I've seen that repeatedly in my own life and other people's lives I work with um, as far as natal consultations go. The, all the, the many things in the birth chart will often sort of reflect these patterns. You can kind of see how they're, some of these configurations um, um, and especially some of those more um, intense ones. So there's certainly like the idea in traditional astrology, which I think is a, a valid way to look at it and, and works in uh, many ways that, you know, that whole idea of the divine breath coming in, like the ascendant um, and the first house, you know, is our like, that's who we are. That's our you know mind, body, and soul and the, the ship of our soul, you know, and like the ruler of that ascendant is our or steering our soul to its destiny and destination. But, um, and then, you know, the rest of the chart isn't necessarily all about you. And, and there's one thing where that's true, but that's also like, it's definitely missing. Like you're not just your ascendant. Um, I mean, that to me is just really obvious. It's not as simplistic as you're just your first house and, the ruler, the domicile and bound ruler or whatever you want to, however you want to interpret that. So there's a way you can look at that and you can definitely practice that way and it reveals a lot of stuff. But there's also a part to me where um, all of the chart, um, and you can even get crazy if you want to bring in and make it maybe too complex and overwhelming, but you can you know bring in asteroids, you can bringing all this other stuff. And it's, it's fascinating how that will just really resonate with people um, and reflect something really, um, it feels very powerful to them on this very inner soul level. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's all involved, you know, it's all involved in the soul and it's all involved in what we encounter that's outside of us, because I think it's kind of one in the same, you know, that idea of that reflection and, and, you know, what, like just consciousness in general, because, you know, that is up for speculation as well. As well. It all is all speculation. But I remember, you know, my, my dad said that when I was born, he's like, the moment you popped out now I'm a Scorpio rising with Uranus exactly on the ascendant. And so yeah. he's like, the moment you popped out, he's like, you're, you were so aware, your eyes were wide open and you were just like, bah, like I'm here, you know? And uh, I think that speaks to my own personal, you know, now granted my charioteer is driving a little sideways and has its head going the other direction. You know, I think those things are important, um, but all the other things make up that as well. And, you know, when you, you were touching on uh, well, because Jung works with the idea of the, you know, the unconscious or like the collective conscious. And I'm kind of wondering if I, you know, if you think about it, like I almost wonder if, because I heard this theory that really resonated with me and this could actually tie into maybe, you know, the soul's journey is about us in lifetime, but the actual content that it, um, 
gets from the experience or the journey itself is actually in service of the whole and the all. Because mm-hmm. I was really resonating with the idea that when you when you pass and when you leave this world, your consciousness is basically uploaded to this web of uh, all, you know, mm-hmm. so everyone, every time someone is passing away, they're uploading, you know, much like Harry Potter, I imagine like that memory, <laughs> if anybody's seen mm-hmm. Harry Potter and they take the memories out of people and it's coming into this collective, uh, unconscious or consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we come back in and we have, you know, another round of that to go, but essentially we're part of this web and we see it all, you know, because we are of reflection, uh, of, of the whole and everything we're dealing with in the world is just a part of this collective, you know, consciousness that has created all this. And so I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if it's less personal than our own particular energy that is trying to accomplish something over, you know, how many periods of living versus we're all in it together to create this larger thing. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, it does. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, um, both of those things to me are going on and um, um, that is one of the main things that Young um, really focused on. Like, you know, you probably heard like the idea of like um, individuation, for example, which is sort of like just really connecting with um, the authentic life, you know, you're here to uh, live um, and there's a famous example of like the seed of like, you know, the mountain pine tree that it's going to, um, it's going to grow into a pine tree or like, you know, like the acorn is meant to grow into the oak and there's all these environmental factors, but there's also something like inside, um, guiding it. So that's sort of the same idea that these archetypal forces, um, and he and Jung, for example, saw this when you're asking about him with like, yeah, the collective unconscious that's sort of just like the source of where all these um, archetypes across time are, you know, kind of, I guess, dwelling and kind of coming down from um, the reason that, you know, you might have a dream, for example, right. That has this, um, this figure from some culture and another, another part of the world that you, you have no conscious recollection of ever, interacting with but then you realize this is actually this figure from this other place right um and so he saw you know dreams and synchronicities and this connects the end with um astrology as well when these archetypal forces that they're they're shaping forces they structure things but they also have like you're saying they're like they have there's this meaning there there is some sort of purpose that's there um and, um, you know, back in the day, the ancient astrologers very much seemed to, many at least, saw this idea of, um, you know, the, the world soul or, or like there's this um, providence, providential meaning, you know, that the message that's come, this celestial intelligence that's there, you know, that's... that's um, all the planets are these sort of sacred emissaries of that, whatever that celestial intelligence and messages. 
Yeah, we and that essentially plays into the chart and how we get closer to that because we look at, you know, kind of the archetypal energies of certain planets and how they're connecting with others and where they're positioned and that mm-hmm. speaks into our own, you know, essence and what it's encountering and how it naturally is. Um and it, it you know what's interesting about it? I find uh Young's chart very interesting because he's he's supposed oh, yeah. to be born right as the last rays of the sun were setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how perfect is that to like yeah, touch so, into it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, his 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 chart is is amazing. It's uh Aquarius rising right mm-hmm. with um Saturn uh, in Aquarius, Leo Sun, Leo Uranus, mm-hmm. Moon is uh, in Taurus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got that Sagittarius Mars, which is very evident. Which, by um, the way, Gray is doing this from memory right now. He just, <laughs> just knows the chart. Oh, um, yeah. I thought it was interesting he has that uh, his moon in Taurus is in mutual reception with his Venus in Cancer and conjunct yeah. Mercury. And he's always talking yeah. about the visions that he had and, uh, you know, being in that, you know, just that in-between space in, in the dream mm-hmm. world. And that spoke a lot to me. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, with your Uranus, um, being born with Uranus, um, on your ascendant (laughs) sort of the um as he goes into like the red book period which i think they're sort of known as like the black book or like there's like these sort of notebooks he's writing in um he had he actually yeah you listened to the talk i did on the uranus opposition but yes he wrote this very there's this really beautiful passage he writes about kind of calling out to his soul and reconnecting with his soul which is sort of right on the cusp of him going into that period where he has this really vivid, lucid waking dream of um, the coming world war and the whole sort of like descent into the red book period. Mm. But um, when you look at the diary entry of that um, journal entry where he's calling out to his soul, it's like Uranus is like in Aquarius, like right on his ascendant, you know, opposite his son. So, um, yeah, he's it's really interesting example of like the someone just yeah, this kind of the the transits coming in and just like he's really activated by it and and um letting them, you know, uh living his life in a way that seems very um evocative of what those transits what we would maybe think would happen, you know, like actually yeah. doing it. Well, yeah, and I I would think just even for the soul's journey in in general, you know, and in, in, in Young's a good example of that. Uh, when you know an outer planet such as that hits, you know, one of these angles, and especially the ascendant, <laughs> you know, I think that is part of the soul activating in certain ways because now it has to encounter something. It has to awaken. It has to, you know, firm up and get serious about what's going on. It has to change, you know, whatever that particular planetary energy is. But there is a lot of reconfiguration that happens when you get to that ascendant point. And so then you get things such as these more mystical experiences or perfect synchronicities that, you know, move things along or stop you in your tracks, you know, just depending on what it is. Um, you need to encounter, but I just thought that was so interesting. Uh, his his chart and just that sun position and the sun in Leo too. And he was quite the woman's man, <laughs> the the ladies' man. He had mm-hmm. plenty of relationships with that sun on the descendant. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Leo the Leo sun setting um, into night 
um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a it's beautiful. Um, just about all the work he did, yeah. So it's yeah. like a, it's just like a perfect chart image, yeah. Yeah, I just laughed when I saw it. I was like, well, of yeah. course. That all right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting. Like later in his life, uh, he had uh, like a like a heart attack, or not too much later, but like mid. It was in 1944. He had like a heart attack, and he had a couple of health mm-hmm. issues, and he had a, um, a a life-threatening experience where he left the body, and he was actually upset to come back. <laughs> Uh, because people get to this space and they're like, oh, this is what, this feels so good. Don't make me go mm-hmm. back in there. But it was also like part of the catalyst that uh, got him to then write a lot of his like most defining work after that. Um, from Because he wrote a lot in his later part of his life, mm-hmm. right? a lot of the stuff that he encountered. But in like what I was reading is he kind of had that epiphany moment uh, on 4444. And he was like taken <laughs> by the number of like the, you right. know. <laughs> He he's all about the synchronicities, and I really yeah. resonate with that. Totally. Um, yeah, and, and that's a good example. Like, um, you know, just sticking with him for for a little bit longer. Like that, these synchronicities are revealing this this vaster meaning. You know, that they're they're this bridge between the inner and the outer. So those powerful synchronistic experiences that we have, you know, those are the things that are putting us in touch with our soul. That that. Um, that I, when we were thinking about having this more kind of like surface conscious egoic type of perspective, like this is what I should be doing. And this is what I'm, you know, I'm just going about my, whatever we can, there can be those really powerful um, synchronicities that sort of um, just sort of force this awareness. Um, You know, it's up to us how much we want to work with that stuff and integrate it. But you know, like you're mentioning with talking about dreams, dreams are a really good example of that. You can have this really powerful um, dream that ends up being this sort of threshold experience like that too, that just really kind of shatters, you know, what you, your conscious self has been thinking you should be doing. And, you know, things, things start changing as you it somehow opens up this connection to this, mm-hmm. you know, something about your inner soul speaking to you through that dream. Yes. And that's why I'm all about dreams. I'm, I get excited to go to sleep because <laughs> all for obvious reasons, but yeah. uh, you know, I get, I just don't know what I'm going to encounter. And I have a pretty avid, you know, dream life going on. Um, and no, I'm not constantly dreaming. And that's the thing. So if you're out there and you're not dreaming, that's okay because you are dreaming. You just don't remember it mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, when we go to bed at night, this, we get to that in-between space. That is the clo- That's our mini death that we die every night. And we go to this, you know, space, you know, in time that we're, you know, disconnected or holding on by a thread essentially to our, our, you know, physical bodies there. And I, you know, I just think that dreams and the dreams also touch back on the feeling, right? Because we were talking about earlier with soul kind of being a feeling. And I think that's really important with dreams too, because, you know, sometimes you'll have a dream that is uh, seemingly random and just certain types of things. And, you know, you wouldn't think too much of it, but you, then you wake up and you're upset. You know, something that doesn't, wouldn't normally upset you in waking life upsets you in this dream. Or you can have a crazy dream where, you know, like you're someone, you see someone get killed and you know, all that, but it doesn't have that same emotion to it because this is all working in the, the world of symbolism. And so, you know, I could dream about uh, a, a notebook that has a, a 
black mark on it. And that can make me super upset, but that's just because there's some sort of symbolism that comes with that. And we don't need to fully understand it, even though I like to pick apart my dreams because I find symbolism and and abstract thought fascinating. But I think it's just doing that on this unconscious under layer type of, uh, you know, momentum that is, that's how we work through a lot of the things because a lot of people don't go to therapy. A lot of people don't talk this out in conscious waking life. It's more about this sleep space and these mini deaths every night where we get to kind of move the soul along in different ways. And so that's just kind of what I personally think about dreams. <laughs> and so, I mean, uh, what about you, Gray? What, what's your dream life like or what, <laughs> what do you have there? Well, yeah, it's actually often been a frustrating thing for me because I'm someone that, I don't know if it's my sleep cycle or what, but I don't always remember my dreams. Um, and I'm often with uh, partners who, like, like, they'll just be having these really amazing, epic dreams they're always telling me about. And I'm just, like, I don't even, you know, <laughs> rem- uh, remember mine. But um, I have actually been in... Jungian analysis for the over three years now, actually. Hmm. And um, yeah, interestingly, as far as that, I mean, that's definitely something, if I have a dream, my uh, Jungian analyst, he's, he's always very psyched and it's a great experience, but I'm um, fortunately not always bringing them because uh, he's, he's very, he's, he's, a, he's a very fortunate. He's a extremely um, skilled and, um, great uh young analyst but um he's really great at working them with them when i do have a dream but when i um yeah i first went to sort of sort of some personal things that happened to me where i just really recognized like this is clearly like this idea of soul patterns and things that will repeat but they're repeating in a different way but there's still something you can even see how it's connecting back to like stuff with like your parents or early you know childhood and so that was sort of my, I was like, you know, I really need to just find, and there happens to be a really um, good one living here in Olympia, so who I was able to connect with. But um, that was interestingly at the, almost the exact same time that I um, re- ended up connecting with doing like my first, like more like professional astrology talk. I had done some local astrology classes like in Olympia before, including like some beginner level things where I just had to like rent it out a yoga studio and I was teaching people in the studio. But I, um, at the same time I was started going to see him and I was having dreams to bring in, um, coincided with me like doing a talk at a bookstore in Portland, which then, um, ultimately I actually recorded it. I was talking into recording it. Someone's like, you have to record that. And that ended up being how I ended up getting into uh, UAC after that, which was like a really big um, deal for me. And it was like the first time I'd ever even applied to talk at an astrology conference or try to. And a lot of people, you know, didn't get picked for that. I had just one talk I had done. And and me um, doing that, though, the, the, the dreams were basically revealing to me that... Um, for me, it was almost like needing to be more um, ambitious or going for things in a way like there was sort of like a shadow type of anima thing that was sort of about me needing to um, go out and, and become somebody that's more like asserting myself and 
you know, applying to get into conferences and talking at conferences and mm-hmm. doing talks and putting my work out there. And my and um, from that point, I actually have since then gotten more activated doing that sort of thing. And I would, you know, you know, often I would see sometimes for good reason because there's definitely lots of narcissistic, egotistical people in the astrology field that get very inflated by the fact that they work on astrology. So, but I also would notice, you know, I was realizing I was often projecting that at the same time Mm. on certain people where, you know, I actually needed to be somebody, um, part of my sole purpose is to go out and be, you know, put yourself out there doing the podcast, right. Or going, yeah, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how that person's like, you need to record this because that person came in at just the right moment and was like, Don't oh, yeah. this, Gray. We, we made this contract forever. Yeah. I'm going to tell you to record this. Um, right. I mean, that's how I, this podcast, um, uh, not only, but one of the main driving forces behind this podcast, when I had uh, my other podcast with a, a uh, another woman that I was doing a podcast with disbanded. I had a dream where I was really good friends with Chris Brennan and we were talking about like, and I woke up and I knew in that moment that in my dream was telling me that I can do something similar. You know, I could take the thing yeah, on myself sense. and mm-hmm. then, co- and then bring guests on. And that's how yeah. I got kind of the confidence to do what I wanted, you know, to reconfigure things, uh, because that my dream gave it to me. And really my dream gave me uh, a lot when it has to do with my voice because about, I don't know, like probably 10 years ago now, um, right before I started actually uh, really getting into music and because I was always a connoisseur of music, like a record collector, you know, I was in band back in the day, you know, but I had always wanted to create my own music. Uh, and at the time I was also getting into astrology. And so as I was on the cusp of becoming these things, I started going through these crazy dream cycles. Um, and I was trying to connect wherever I could with lucid dreams because if, mm-hmm. you know, because I was like, this is my access point into my, you know, my unconscious. Like, what does this want? If I could get the lucid dream, I could get what I get that nugget of wisdom that I needed to know from my unconscious self. And so one morning I had that lucky little, you know, I just happened to fall back asleep, you know, and probably like nine o'clock in the morning. It was just enough to put me in a lucid dream. And I was in a library and, and I knew it. I was like, Oh, I'm lucid. I can, I, I got so excited because I didn't know what I was going to see, but I knew it was going to be important. And so I started to walk and I'm looking around and then I turned to the left, you know, because I just don't know what I'm going to see. And all, there were all these microphones there, a bunch of microphones on stands, just, you know, some here, some high, some low, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And so I go over to look at it and I'm like, I go to kind of like touch one and then this big lady comes out and she's like, what are you doing? You know, she got like, kind of like, there's the fear that came up, right? She comes out. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, there's, she told me there's a lot of responsibility in that. I remember that. This is with someone that has Saturn on the North node. So just keep that in mind. Okay. And so I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a go. And I tried to pick up the microphone in my dream, which I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up something when you're in a lucid dream, because it's, it's interesting, like the tactile senses. And so I picked up the microphone and I remember it feeling like it was an anvil. Like it was a weighed like a thousand pounds or something. I was trying to hold it up and bring it to my mouth. And then that's when I woke up. But 
from that point, you know, I went on to be a singer. I went on to be mm. a, you know, a podcaster, someone who's sharing and expressing their thoughts and, you know, <laughs> to the world. And so that kind of gave me that entry point. And so for me, that was definitely a soul level dream in, in many respects. Um, had you had issues with your voice prior to that for any reason? I was devastated, like devastatingly fearful to put myself out there um, mm-hmm. in many ways. Like I have no problem telling people what I think, you know, but when it comes to expressing like creative impulses and I don't know, it just took me a while. And even right now, as we're talking, every time I do a podcast, I sweat like crazy. <laughs> Some sort of like underlying, you know, nervous energy is mm-hmm. within me when I speak. I also mm-hmm. have Mercury square Chiron exactly as well. Okay. So that's another type of thing. But, but it was part of this whole journey, right? I had to get over mm-hmm. it. I had to grab the mic. And so here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's, that makes a, that And that sort of goes with uh, some of those ideas of um, Hillman around the diamond. Like I, had this, I have a similar thing with my voice and had like speech impediments as a kid. And I just like didn't want to talk. And um, so like, for example, that I'm now I'm doing like a podcast yeah, my idea is is, is um, and you know, doing public talks is like I was going to say, and speaking really uh, far. Yeah, it's a far extreme difference from how I was. Yeah, as a as a well, child, and, and that's that sort of sort of thing that sometimes there's like those real difficult things, but like it's actually there to um, bring your attention to it. Yeah, and um, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, just with astrology and whatever the things I've are on your chart that's just so, you know, you, you have such an issue with just to try to form more of a relationship to see, you know, what is this really pulling you? And there's some kind of calling there. There's something there you can really unearth the more you kind of work with it and don't try to just like escape it or, mm. you know, um, blame yeah. it, you know, victimize yourself over it, you know, see what's, what's the meaning and meaning that you can find with it. Well, and that's a good segue point into something we were just going to touch on a little bit of the, I like the idea if there's kind of like a wrong or a bad soul in the chart, you know, cause we talk about things like planetary dignities and you have a planet mm-hmm. that's in detriment and you're like, Oh no, it's a detriment. Um, or, you know, you have challenging aspects going on in your chart, but I think we just, uh, basically both said examples of these challenges that have, that are part of the journey. It's what needs you know, it's part of the soul's work to be able to transcend that fear or transcend that awkwardness or, you know, learn from experience in some way. Um, and so, I mean, I know you have some thoughts on, <laughs> you know, challenging placements and getting a bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then, you know, when we're, and that's why I think it is good to, I do like looking at things on a soul level. Um, and when I'm working with people, you know, also, also doing that. I mean, I've really enjoyed um, learning more of the traditional astrology. So I haven't, I guess I didn't mention that, but it's probably, I guess at this point, it's been six years since I've much more been learning um, traditional astrology and focusing a little bit more on the Hellenistic. Although now, like I mentioned, I'm doing the William Lilly, learning the William Lilly era (laughs) stuff um, for the first time. But um, there's a lot of value, um, I think in the, um, traditional material and I've really liked learning, um, the techniques 
and learning more of the foundational philosophies of how things all fit together. But then what I like to do is um, keeping that in mind, um, just bringing more of that sort of depth psychology perspective when I'm working with those techniques. So um, when you're approaching, so yeah, you can approach them from this more material level and there's a predictive element um, on the material level of how some of these things might be showing up. But then you can also look at things from a soul level. And on a soul level, there isn't a bad aspect. Um, I mean, it might be an aspect that's caused you pain and has led to some really difficult experiences in your life that was hurtful and might be a wound that you had to deal with. You know, where where there's you might have some other aspect that's just very more about um, luxuriating and pleasure type of thing, right? That you that you, that has brought these like nice nice uh, material gains in some way into your life. But um, on a soul level, it's those, those it's actually really often those really <laughs> difficult things and uh, living <laughs> um, li- living. Uh, yeah, just like really um, going there, you know, letting it, letting you, letting it, you, you living into that, whatever that aspect is and whatever those experiences is, you know, maybe having to be brought down. Um, like I have, for example, Mercury and its fall of um, Pisces, but at the same time, it's exactly to the degree of my midheaven. So it's like, and the, I'm a Gemini rising. So my ascendant ruler is on my midheaven, but it's in its fall. So that does on a certain level speak to um, having this voice and, and coming to a place where I am sharing my voice and being seen in a public way with my writing or my ideas. But that fall and quality of my Mercury um, has brought me into some, you know, type of underworld type of initiative experiences. It's, it's, it's brought me down in a way, um, but it's also I've also worked as part of that often with um, even when I was previously a teacher in community colleges and um, but I taught in like developmental education, like raising people up to excel in English 101, teaching people that are tested below 101, but um, raising them up. I also taught in a program for um, kids that had dropped out of high school bring them into community college and then so they could get their um, degrees through that, get their diploma and a community college degree at the same time. And uh, as part of that, often working with like homeless students, now I'm working in child protective services as a social worker. I'm often working with homeless people. I just often drifted into um, and having a sort of social justice perspective is really important to me. Um, and so I think there's even, you could, you certainly something could have an exalted planet and be doing that. I don't mean to say it's only people with like a planet and fall or detriment that's going to do that. But um, sometimes having those difficult experiences, it lets you relate to other people mm-hmm. and um, end up, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I totally and, know. And just sort of being like part of your, your um, calling in that way. Yeah, and that's very curious. I mean, you literally just listed example after example after example that shows kind of uh, um, even if you step outside the chart and take, you know, Mercury, your Mercury is now the people that you're working with or encountering, uh, you know, in your public 
uh, life and in career um, of these fallen people, essentially. You know, they didn't quite make it. They're trying to make it through the high school, but they got to go this, or they didn't quite mm-hmm. make it to the 101. They have to do this. And so, I mean, that speaks a, a lot to me just in symbolism of how, you know, the fallen planet can work. The horn <laughs> says yes. The yeah. horn is confirmed. Oh my God. I am like sweltering my house right now. So all my windows are open. So if you get like a touch of the street vibe, you know, that's, that's cool. That's where we're at here. Yeah. Um, but I love that for, for your mercury. I mean, it makes a lot of sense and it's not a bad placement. It just shows character through your own journey. And like you said, you started out with having some issues with speech or not wanting to talk. And so that's all, or like, it's all part of the process. Um, and what makes you relatable to other people uh, that are in the, you know, kind of similar, like, I get it. I had trouble, you know, speaking one time or working with language. And, you know, I, I find it interesting with my own chart. I, I have my moon in detriment, but I have a lot of peregrine planets. So I'm getting a new, mm. I'm getting an idea of what, you know, peregrine <laughs> kind of looks yeah, like. I do, I do too. Do you? Mm-hmm. Well, and I find that I don't know if you relate to this at all. And I think this is part of the soul's my personal souls, you know, expression is that I'm meant to encounter a lot of different things. It's Mm -hmm. not meant to be, you know, kind of static or developed one. Like I've been so many different things in my life thus far. And I mean, I just turned 40, you know, there's not much life to go. And so I, I, I think about peregrine planets and the necessity of having to just let go and not in like move through various types of experiences. And that's actually part of the soul's journey is to collect all these little things that move you along. If that makes any sense <laughs> that you can't oh, yeah. as much. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I have a uh, Jupiter and Pisces. So I have one domicile planet and then I, my, I have Venus and Aries. It's detriment, but it's my one other non-peregrine planet. Cause it's in the third decan of Aries. So mm-hmm. my, my Venus is a, has a, uh, Decan or face dignity, but nothing else in my chart has. They're all pretty much peregrine or a detriment or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, one thing it's was making me um, learning the horary. Um, so in horary, what you're doing is you're really you're really um, applying these essential dignity and accidental dignity and all the everything you know, speed, phase. Um, into a very cutting portrait of people at times, but you're, you're, um, cause very, li- these, like these ideas, whereas in a natal chart, I think it's really important to realize, like we're saying, like, this is something someone's living with over time and forming a relationship with. It's often very much part of some inner soul meaning for them to be discovering over time. Um, in a horary chart, you know, you're really just capturing this moment and it's how the person is really showing up just in the context of this, question you're not really labeling their soul or anything like that but um i mean one of the things i've been i've been finding interesting just learning about peregrine and i mean peregrine plants are so important in horary and um i mean some of the ideas i just find interesting are that idea of like you're sort of saying like wandering and having lots of different interests but sort of very much based around the idea of just like the stranger right not knowing who somebody is this idea that the foreigner or like the other, you don't know who they are. So you don't know if you can necessarily trust them. And also internally, that person isn't necessarily loyal to anything. Like they're kind of like on their own, you know, um, you know, whereas a planet like in Damasa or Exaltation, they're very like just purely expressing that planet. 
There's no internal conflict yeah. whatsoever with what they're doing. Um, the peregrine or, or the detriment are going to be more like kind of holding their cards close to their chest, not really letting you know what they're thinking or doing. And actually, I mean, there's actually a really, if we're talking about natal chart. I mean, I've, I have to recognize that I have been that way. I mean, partially from being so shy and introverted, but, um, but also like for good reason um, at times. I mean, the dominant cultural places I grew up in and was surrounded by um, weren't really things that I resonated with. You know, um, there's a reason people are um, expatriates. I haven't actually, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't done that. Um, um, and I've, you know, had been raising children and uh, very much like, yeah. Staying, where, staying where my children are as they grow up but um yeah i mean there's 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 actually interesting things with the peregrine plants and, and they're also going to be seen as being extremely intelligent too because they, they have to be fending for themselves right they, they they don't have they're having to collect all the resources so that they can actually be seen as having lots of intelligence and um well, that's yeah. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's, that's yes. what I'm saying. And the collecting the resources yeah. is everything because simply, mm-hmm. if I mean, for a peregrine planet, this is basically what's going down. Is there is no there is no end dignity. There is no stopping point. It is. I like to look at uh, peregrine planets in particular as if we were baking a cake. There is going to be different levels of uh, you know complication to the recipe, right? You know, because certain peregrine planets might have, you know, four ingredients. Other planet, peregrine planets might have like seven ingredients. It's running. I encountered someone <laughs> today that was running through a seven planet process before it repeated and wow. went back around. So we just see that it gets more complicated, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts. It's hard to declare yourself as such because maybe even you don't know because you're here and you're feeling this one day and then it moves into this planet and then it's like this chain. Um, but there you can get the intelligence as well because you're working with all the states at once if they're in you know some sort of a harmony. So that's some of the things that I've thought about there too. But I, you know, I know this soul is not about peregrine planets per se, but you know, certain no, it's, are. It's, yeah, totally. And, and then detriment's interesting. Like you used that example. You have the um, moon in Capricorn. Um, I have I happen to have Saturn in Cancer. So we sort of you and I have the flipped reversal yeah. version of that. Yeah. And and so like if you have that and you're learning astrology and you you know you, you come across language, I mean detriment just sounds terrible. I mean it's it's making it sound like you have a plan and detriment is just automatically bad. The some of the ancient or traditional text is extremely um negative sounding. Um which I always also always wonder like how what people actually would necessarily practice like i i I wish we could go back and find out how some of those people living then you know actually would have practiced in real life versus what was just they were copying out of these books you know sometimes it's like people just copying and retranslating these things more than like really writing their own ideas um but um I mean, I think the the important thing with astrology and just thinking about your chart or other people you're working with is just to be more imaginative and sure, like I'm not saying detriment is meaningless and doesn't mean it's any not bringing challenges, but you know it's just rooted in this idea like I have Saturn, for example, being ruled being in the home of the moon, 
So I have Saturn, you know, we think about what Saturn's like as a, as a, um, you know, maybe wanting to be kind of slow and um, staying on task Mm -hmm. and being like an authority and rejecting people at times, right? Or saying no to people or like setting these boundaries and it's being ruled by the moon, right? Which is like the fastest moving thing. It's always changing. It's constantly, constantly, it's constantly changing. It's got all these emotions coming into it making, you know, so, um, so that's just the basic idea. Right. And then, so you need to then also really pay attention to like what's going on with a person. So just, it's just one thing. So just like step outside of that to also look at, you know, where is the person's Saturn? Like what actual house is it in? What's Saturn's solar phase? What house is Saturn in? Where's the moon? What's, what's going on with the moon? And um, bringing all those things into the moon in the, in the case of Saturn and Cancer. And so, um, and yeah, just getting more imaginative with it and having the dialogue with the person to kind of help them see you know, what can they do with that placement? Um, you know, and with you, for example, having the moon in Capricorn, I don't know if there's anything with that you'd want to say, but it's sort of like, you know, the opposite where it's the moon, but it's... But yeah, but it has that Saturn. Saturn. Yeah. And, it, and it's in a trine to Saturn too. So it's yeah. like a little extra Saturn up in here sometimes. And you know, that's, that is that is very much <laughs> the truth. You know, like it, <laughs> there is a certain line um, that I am... It's it's very interesting with you know because people see your emotions or or at least we <laughs> people might see your emotions not so much with the Capricorn Moon I'm pretty good at holding it back in certain situations or I sometimes expect that of other people where I'm like can you just hold it in <laughs> please I don't want I don't want to deal with that um, but then I find like the opposite because sometimes it's suppressed so much that I will uh, become uh, like. Uh, an ugly public crier sometimes because if something mm. gets to me, because Capricorn actually, I mean, just the sign itself has a very public type of, it, it, you know, essence to it. And I have found that some of the times that I break down the most is when something triggers me to, just so little that's outside. Someone will ask me a question and then I just have a public display of emotion that I have no control over. It's incredibly embarrassing. And, mm. but in, it just comes out like, like I just have no choice. And, <laughs> and so it's interesting. And so it's not like I don't have any emotions. I have plenty of emotions, especially being a cancer because I'm born at a full moon. So that's a whole other, you know, thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, that's, that's extra emotion put with a, like, a you know, yeah. to wrap it up in a box and tuck it away a little bit. Um, and but you, so, have the, you said you have, a tri- you have the Virgo trine though. So that's- but I have the Virgo trine there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've learned to work with it over time and I've learned to, you know, but I have to learn, right. You know, it's not all about, uh, you have to, you have to, open up a little bit. You have to be a little bit more vulnerable. You have to like not try to control everything <laughs> because that's just, you know, emotional control and not even other people yourself, you know, cause that's a, a big part of it. Um, but even like I, cause I recently had, you know, talk about a soul experience. I had Pluto come around and conjunct my moon and oppose right. my sun and square my Pluto. Cause I have Pluto square my sun and moon. Exactly. And so, you know, this is my soul speaking right here. My soul <laughs> Oh, guess what? We yeah. got a treat for you. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, I had to go, I went through this Plutonian experience and, you know, my life 
was the perfect storm where it all collapsed at once. And it was just, wasn't just Pluto, Neptune was talking, my progress chart was talking, you name it, it was happening. But what my moon did is, and this is, but I learned a lot of my, myself in the process, is my moon did that detriment um, term of, you might hear detriment as exile. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I did. I emotionally exiled myself and I hid out. Like I didn't go out with my friends anymore. I didn't go, you know, like I was just like trying to deal with it and I pulled back in. So I find that detriment planets a lot actually do exile themselves in some way. And especially the moon, because, you know, that's, I don't know, you have to feel emotionally secure and up to it in order to like interact. And so I found that exile coming through, but I had to go through my own dark night of the soul within that so that I could come back up. And so I, that's part of my detriment. That's part of the detriment story for me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can really, with my Saturn and Cancer, for example, you know, claiming my inner authority has been a big thing, mm. which I'm a... Uh, I'm in my Saturn, exact Saturn opposition right now. So oh. this podcast is part of that. I guess, yeah, <laughs> part, of that part of that experience. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, that's been going on for me. And there's certainly deeper levels of that that will be happening for me. But I would say like, that's a, at least my experience, uh, other people have different experience with Saturn and Cancer, but that's been one of mine, I would say is where like, not not claiming, especially when I was younger, not claiming that inner authority, mm. kind of exi- exiling myself from doing that in a way. Yeah, because that's you push back from it, or you step back, or like you're or you don't want to deal with it, or it's just it's fearful in some way. And so, I mean, I get that on the other end with the moon. It's the same thing. It's like uh, uh, it sometimes it can be hard to step into my own authority. And speaking of a dream, here's a great dream uh, that I had around that time with the moon Pluto conjunction. Is I was in oh, this is a good one. I was in a. a this convenient, it was like a, a pet store. And I went to go look at this like freezer section, it had all these puppies on ice, <laughs> which is strange. And then all of a sudden one came to life and jumped out of the freezer and went running. And I was like, oh no, you know, like how did it get out? And I was uh, just felt guilty and like, what happened? And I turn around, there's this old man here and he's like kind of laughing. He's like smiling a little bit, like a very wise man kind of archetype. And he looked at me and he's like, don't let the powers that be control you. And I was like, I've lived by that ever since that, that dream moment of mine, because I realized I let all the outside influence and all the Plutonian experiences that I had encountered. And I let that control me because I couldn't take my own uh, authority because I was having emotional issues with it. Um, and so that's, that's the flip side of kind of your, you know, your Saturn and cancer is it kind of gets that same thing. It's just in a different in a different way. So I totally mm-hmm. resonate with that for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, people, this is, these are the types of things that you find these soul essences in charts. And I know we didn't really talk about the nodal axis because I know that's a big, Oh yeah, we didn't actually, actually do we? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, we don't want to be here all day with, <laughs> with certain things, but we can have a part two sometimes. Yeah. But, um, I mean, great. Are there any like quick things that you say if someone was just looking at a chart, like you don't have to explain it or anything, but just some, you know, quick little pieces of like, maybe what to kind of like nodal access would be one you were saying. Yeah. Six- well, I mean, if you want to, 
need to touch on the no. Yeah, I mean that's controversial, and that um, people have really different opinions about the lunar nodes. And um, later in the 20th century, I'm not exactly sure when it got picked up more predominantly. But I know when I was first learning astrology, every book I would come across would say the South Node was your past life, and the North Node is like your current life direction. Um, And I did spend time. a decade ago, actually, at this point, um, learning Jeff Green's uh, evolutionary astrology. And I mean, I don't, um, I can still actually, anytime I want, and if it's appropriate, kind of switch lenses and look at a chart that way uh, whenever I want to. It's not my um, predominant, it's not the way I really mainly practice at this point. But there, there's a way that that stuff can really reveal some. Um, some of your soul life type of uh, pattern story. I think the, where it gets problematic is I've heard people have some pretty negative experiences where somebody, you know, including people that are seen as very famous authorities in our field, tell them what their past life was. And mm-hmm. like, they, like they know their past life and that was actually a harmful experience for them, you know, didn't actually resonate or was somehow like wounding or so forth. But I mean, it, there's a thing where that kind of makes it, the reason it makes sense is in a way that the sun being the, the source of, I mean, we do think about the sun as being the source of the lights, right? It's the source of um, souls in a way that a lot of traditions see the sun as being like this um, luminous, this, this source of news, source of souls, you know, the moon being our body and our minds and us being incarnated in its material form. And so, um, the, 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 lunar, the lunar nodes are the intersection of those two orbits. Um, and so it's not to me, it's not a simplistic thing like south node is your past life and north node is your future life or your evolutionary direction. But um, there is a thing where I think both sides are, they're revealing an aspect of this deeper soul pattern. Um, and the... Um, both sides of that have something to say. You're right. It's, I can't, I'd be here talking while well if you start oh, to that, but that's, that's certainly one thing, but then interesting, like also just sun moon phase is another thing that's really important. Just the phasal relationship between the sun and the moon. If we then go to the lot of fortune and a lot of spirit, a lot of daimon, that's us taking the sun moon relationship and replacing it on the ascendant, which is this point of um, the you know breath, yeah. our our soul incarnating basically, mm. and so the a lot of fortune being more like the material bodily kind of fate in a way, but the lot of diamond being this point where it is revealing an aspect of our soul's sort of um, intention in the life and the rule of the lot of spirit being important. You can just like, you can make a lot of fortune chart. You could actually also make a lot of spirit chart. Um, I saw Rob hand do a talk on that once we're sort of referencing what we, we were just speaking about. He says that in the lot of spirit chart, there are no bad aspects. And that actually makes a lot of sense to me to interpret the lot of spirit chart in that way. But then you can also look at, you know, to me, everything in the chart, speaks to, to soul on some level. Um, and it, it's um, too much to get into. <laughs> but I think when you see some of those like really tight, so like if you see some kind of like, let's say you see someone has this really intense T square, like if you were looking at my chart, you might notice, well, I have 
um, my moon's on the south node of the moon, my Mercury's in Pisces, uh, squaring my nodes, ruling my south node of the moon with like Neptune near my north node. You know, that's obviously a thing in my chart. I have Pluto opposite Ceres and Saturn Cancer squaring them. So it's like a T-square with them. And I guess Ceres is with Eris also. Well, we have the same configuration because that's yeah. what goes in my cardinal cross. Is oh, uh, yeah. So that's something else. Like when you see some intense things like that, there is a thing where you can be like, well, there's something there too. Like that's probably a really challenging thing for this person. But there's probably this really deep soul lesson. Yes. Too. So when, you, when some of those things really stand out to you, there's probably really something there to explore. Yeah, because that's that's the that's the signature. That's like the personal like const- constellation of sorts that you're looking in the. That's our symbolism, right? It's all getting us there. Um, and so there is no good, there is no bad. Although my Pisces South Node thinks that it was much easier than this time around. But uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, we want me to do what now? Um, I feel like I was like kept somewhere <laughs> in my previous life because I'm like, you want me to interact with the, you know the the mundane reality of physical existence like that's how my soul feels sometimes but but it's I have to do it you know it's part of the configuration um and so yeah there is no bad there is no wrong there is there is good in this conceivably bad because it's trying to get to this end result that I guess is you know probably what we signed up for in the first place so (laughs) But, um, all right. Well, you know, I think we have, we've done the best we can with exploring (laughs) soul this time around. So we will wrap it up here, but you know, where can people find you, Gray? What do you got going on? Um, so you can go to graycrawford.net, G-R-A-Y-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D.net. And right now I don't have any like events happening right now that are like planned um, except for me just keeping up with my um, hosts. I've actually been hired in the last year to write for astrology.com. So if you're um, following me on um, Facebook or Instagram under Gray Crawford Astrology, I'll usually be sharing that stuff there. I am planning. I don't know exactly when these dates are going to happen, but at some point in the next, probably I don't want to, I'm sure within the next six months, I don't know, maybe hopefully sooner than that. I haven't figured out exactly when I'm going to do this, but I'm probably going to be doing a course on secondary progressions, maybe like a month and a half, not a super long course, maybe like five or six classes, just kind of thoroughly going through how to do secondary progressions, like doing sun, moon, sun, moon phase, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and kind of going through each one. And, um, I also am planning to at some point do a thing on the planets in fall where I go through um, all the planets in fall, also talking a little bit about about the exaltations, but um, I tend to see people focus more on the exaltation and just be like, yeah, the fall is like... (laughs) And then they make it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of focusing more on the fall, the meaning of the fall, which necessitates working in exaltation as well, but They'll be a little bit more focused on how to work with plants and fall. Well, and no you're way. the perfect person for that, yeah, right? Exactly. So come like back around yeah. for the whole reason that yeah. Mercury is sitting on the midheaven in its fall position. Yeah. You know? Hermes Hermes is smiling at me right now. He is. He's laughing. He's having a good old time with this one. <laughs> so 
So I love that. Now, okay, so if you didn't, if you know, I always do a blog post, so I will share Gray's information there as well so that you can check it out. And he writes a lot, you know, you are always sharing fabulous, fabulous insights in, in astrology world. So definitely be sure to follow him on Instagram or Facebook or both wherever, you know, wherever you look the most because you're quite active there. So, uh, okay, well, where can you find me? Well, you can find me over at energeticprinciples.com and you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Uh, and of course, I have my Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. I have a new episode coming out. Uh, actually, it will be this week of my Astro Story Time. Um, so I hope you go and check that out. You can find that at patreon.com backslash energeticprinciples. Now, everyone has a soul. So you might want to share this podcast with other people <laughs> so that they know that we were talking about all types of different things. Um, and if you feel so inclined to leave a review to wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be great because that helps myself and Gray be seen to a wider audience. So, all right, Gray, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I hope that you visit again. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Great. All right. And of course, I hope you visit again too. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.